I read an article yesterday, and it said more than 70% of Christian churches in the United States, more than 70% of Christian churches in the United States who can meet, in other words, they're in a state where they can meet like this, more than 70% of them are meeting in their local church in the United States. Hallelujah. Now, that, that isn't saying to you guys that are at home, we love you at home. That's fine. No problem. But notice, it is safe. Thank you. You're wearing your mask. We're distancing. And we're not like the one church in the world that's meeting on our campus. We're blessed to be in a state where they don't say you can have five people to meet. Amen? And so we're here. So just kind of work on it because over time, God's going to bring us back as a big family like we all are. We're fine right now. There's no push from you guys. It's not bad and good. Just be led by the Spirit. But when I saw that number, I said, ah, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, we're going to do something today which will be very interesting because it applies to every single person. You can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. We'll finish that chapter today. But as you look at me, and those of you especially at home and in Vieira Sebastian at your campuses, good to have you with us. We're going to go back 2,000 years in history. 2,000 years. But the 2,000 years, you'll see in a moment, looks just like us. 2,000 years. This weekend, we're going to go back and look at spiritual warfare with King Herod and the Christian church 2,000 years ago. You know this statement by heart. Life is not a playground. It's simply a spiritual battlefield. Now, let's see how this happens. Because we live in America, we see spiritual warfare in the church. Very simple. I'll talk about that in a moment. But sometimes over the world, we don't realize it. Here's an article that just came this week. You won't believe it. Look at this article on the overhead. 2020. Here's what the leaders of China said. The leader. Police close house churches nationwide where there's 300 million people. Order Christians to stop believing in God in this atheist country. We are closing down all your churches. Do you think these people, these Christians, are going to go, okay, we'll stop believing in God? Not at all. Now, when you see that persecution, it should remind you, it isn't only China. India, Modi, who's the head of the nation of Israel, excuse me, of India, he wants nothing but hinders. And they're killing Christians Everywhere in India. Horrible. Well, would you like to be a Christian in Iraq, Iran, North Korea? It's the same. It's all over the world. But I have to say, how about here in the United States? See, 2,000 years later, here we are, and we're still in a battle, spiritually. It's about the church. It's really about Godless leaders who hate God, you're going to see that in our passage, who hate Christ, they want nothing to do with him, and they hate us. But do you remember what Jesus said? If they hate me, they're going to hate you. So we are in that day. It's getting worse and worse and worse. 
Now think about this. We have leaders in our country who you're going to see like Herod. They're against God. They can't stand God. They don't like Christians. They don't like truth. They're not interested in the Bible. We have those people in, as governors in many of our states. Now, we have wonderful Christians in many of our states, too. But we have many governors that are like that. You know, what happens is they won't allow church to basically even meet. Praise God, we have a governor that says we can meet. Now, think about this. We have a Supreme Court that sometimes we see it very clearly. They hate God. They hate Christians. They hate the Bible. And the Supreme Court... We have people in Congress that are wonderful Christians. We have people in the, basically those two houses and, the, and all of that political stuff. We have many more people, senators, house people, that hate God, hate Christians. And they're trying to direct us to a country that was started with God to get rid of God. This is exactly what you're going to see today. So this is not new. It continues. But don't be discouraged. Some of you are saying right now, Pastor my God, I don't want to hear this stuff. Hey, let me just give you a good word. In the end, we win. Don't be discouraged. Don't be, I'll say it like this. I'm going to give it to you up front. In the beginning, God. God had the first word. I'm telling you this morning, God has the last word. Now, we're not to hate those people that hate God. We're to pray for them because they're blinded by Satan. And you're going to see that. So it is a difficult passage. But you know what? I don't skip difficult passages because it's all the word of God. It's all the word of God. Now, as you go through... You'll see some things that move along. As you know, in the kingdom of God, basically there's only two kingdoms. Kingdom of God, kingdom of Satan. There's only two destinations, with God, separated from God, heaven or hell. Now, Jesus made it so simple. Look at the overhead. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 12. He who is not with me, say it with me, is against me. I like the new living. Look what it says. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So what you see there is people are for God, Christians. People are against God, opposed to God, unbelievers. Now, some people will say, well, Pastor Mark, I'm not neither one of those. Oh, I believe there's a God. I'm, I'm in the middle. Uh, sorry. What does Jesus say? There is no middle ground at all. It's impossible in a battle to be neutral in the battle between Satan and God. Now, here's what that looks like. Take a look. Why would Jesus make that statement? Because one of the greatest gifts every human being has is the gift of choice, choosing. So when you look at this, on the right, there's a path. That's people that are Christians. They're for God. On the left is the path for people that are against God. Very simple. 
The end of this destination here is heaven. The end of this station here is hell. Now, tell me, looking at this, because this is true, where's the middle? Is there a middle? There is no middle. There's no road. There is no middle. So, as I teach today, before you leave, hopefully everybody's on the right side for God. If maybe you're thinking you are okay in the middle, there is no middle. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. So if you're not a believer or maybe you walked away from God, this is your day to join us. We're headed to heaven right that way. So just be excited about it as we go through. Now, you're going to see somebody that won't admit it. His name is King Herod. Now, what's that look like? Basically this. You know these statements on the overhead. If you're following Jesus, then you're for God. If you're not following Jesus, you think you're following self. You're not. You're really following Satan because you've been deceived. That means you're against or you oppose God. Now, we know God's goal is to get people to heaven. We know Satan's goal to steal, kill, and destroy people. He doesn't want them. He wants them to be with him because he's already lost, praise God. But when you think about this, in chapter 12, let me give you a kind of a summary. Herod is the king. Uh, uh, he's Roman. He worships idols. He's against He's in Jerusalem. He runs the country, and he hates the church, the New Testament church, the Jewish church. Remember, the Jews had two different subdivisions. There was a Jew, people that were Jewish, and they worshiped in the synagogue, and then there was people that were Jewish, and they worshiped in the synagogue, but they believed in Jesus. That division was a problem. The Jewish people hated Christians. That's why they murdered you remember Stephen. He just stoned him to death. So Herod is here, and he knows that the Jewish church that hates Christians, if he can do something to stop the New Testament church that's based on Jesus, these Jews will like him, and he'll be fine with his leadership. So what you have to see, the first thing he's going to do, how is he going to try to destroy the church? How are our governors? How is the Supreme Court? How is our leaders in Congress and all of that, how are they trying to destroy God? They're trying to destroy Christians and the church. That's why you saw something just recently in Nevada. The governor said it's okay to open all the casinos so we can have just thousands of people together. But you can't open a Christian church except for like 20 people. It went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, that's right. You're right. Don't allow the church to open up. That is not our Constitution. So what are they after? The very same thing you're going to see here. So he's going to try to destroy the church. How is he going to do it there? Well, the first thing he does, he gets an apostle, James. And what does he do to James? Chops his head off. And the people are going, in the Jews that hate Christians, way to go. We got one of the leaders gone. He's after the leaders. The next one he goes to is Peter. Peter's actually the lead of the apostles. And he puts him in jail. And his plan is the next day, you know what's going to happen. The plan is the next day, he's going to do the very same thing he did to James. Then I got two apostles down. I only got 10 more to go. I'll have the church discovered, finished, over. Now, <clears throat> God had another plan. You know God has angels. Do you know that? And they, they don't have to distance themselves. They just come right down here. 
And when they come down, they do what God told them to do. So when Peter was in jail that night, you remember that, there was four guards. And they took turns every three hours. And they were there, a guard on this hand with cuffs, a guard over here, and then two guards blocking the door to get out. And so Peter, all that night, he's praying and he's just waiting for God to do whatever God's going to do or he's ready to go to heaven. And all of a sudden, the angel comes and supernaturally, we won't go through the whole story. You remember what happened. All of a sudden, he leads him out. He leads him out. And it seems like the people, the jail guys, they, they don't know anything about it. So they wake up in the morning and they, there's nobody on the other end of this. Where's Peter? Where's Peter? And so they probably turn to the guards at the door and go, hey, did you see Peter go out? Where is he? And all of a sudden, what happened is Peter got out. The angel just drove him supernaturally through, and he went over to a church that had been praying for him, his church that had been praying for him, and they'd been praying 24 hours. God save Peter. We need him. If he's going to be dying just like James, man, we're in trouble. And God did a supernatural miracle. So when you see all of that happening, here's what you're going to see is the problem. Herod is going to come in the morning. And he's expecting to get Peter to do what? Well, let's look at Acts 12, verse 18. All of you that are listening from the campuses, Acts 12, verse 18. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. So as I told you already, Herod doesn't know this yet, but the guards know we're in trouble because there's no Peter, and they have no explanation for it at all. And they are panicked. Now, why are they panicked? In the Roman law back then, if you're a guard, you're responsible for the prisoner. If the prisoner somehow gets away from you, guess what happens? Whatever they were going to do to that prisoner, going to happen to you. And we'll see in a moment, that's exactly what happened. So here comes Herod, and he goes to the jail. And when you see that, these Roman soldiers, before he gets there, they're going like this. We're done. We're through. We already know what he will do. We're finished. Now, why would they not pray and ask for somebody to help him? Because they were pagans. They worshipped idols. They had nobody to go to. Nobody to answer a prayer. They could pray all they want. But their gods were dead gods. Here's the key. Look at this. Unbelievers who oppose God, not by natural, their lives will be filled with panic and fear. That's exactly what they're going to have. And pretty soon you're going to see it's the same thing for King Herod. But what about us today? Christ followers means we're for God. And that means they live with God's peace and not with his fear. You know, as we go through this crazy times that we've never seen in our life, I guarantee you, every one of you, at least once or twice over the last four or five months, 
You had a moment or two of fear. Am I right? Is this thing ever going to end? What's going to happen? What if I get it? You know, we play the what if game like crazy. But look what Jesus says. We have a God that hears our prayers, not a dead God. Look what it says in Isaiah 43. Don't fear, for I have redeemed you. We just sang that. I have called you by name. You are mine. Wow. Wow. So if you have a fear this morning or when that happens to you, any of us like that, just put a prayer right up to God and we're going to be all right. Okay? Now, in verse 19, here's what happened. Here it comes. He does a search. He's trying to figure out. He talks to the guards and he comes up with them. But he finds out that there's no solution. They, they don't know what happened to Peter. Now, interesting enough, Herod knew about Jesus because his father knew about Jesus. And he knew Peter had already escaped once from prison. That's why he had all the guards there. But he refused to believe that this escape had anything to do with God. He will not admit that God did this. Why? Because he opposes God. He doesn't believe in God. He's not interested in God. Now, he becomes angry and bitter. Now, here's what happens. When he does this, you have to understand what's really taking place. And he is thinking by himself. He's not talking to anybody else. He's thinking this. I've been outsmarted by God. Now, he wouldn't admit that publicly ever. But I've been outwitted, outsmarted by God. And basically then, he went and executed all the guards. He murdered them. It wasn't their fault. They had nothing to do with it. They did everything that's right. See, here's a key for you. If we live a life opposing God, unbelievers, others will be negatively affected. If an unbeliever who opposes God, an unbeliever has influence on other unbelievers. That's how the kingdom works. They keep, you know where I know that came from way long ago? You don't hear this much today, but it's true. You hear people say, are you ready to go to heaven? Well, I'm not really interested in going to heaven. I want to be with my friends in hell. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a celebration for the whole entire eternity. It's going to be great. They've never opened the Bible once. See, that's Satan saying what? Join me. You don't want to join him. It's horrible. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. You don't want to go there. That's why he went to the cross. But here is, here he is. So he, he's so angry and feels he got outsmarted, by the way he did. Uh, basically, what happens is he is now killed for people. So when you're like that, you do bad things. Now, here's the positive part of that. Look at here. Parents have a, have a huge responsibility of living for God by showing their children the only way to do life right. Linda and I just got back from Denver. We have a, a son and a daughter-in-law here and, 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 uh, and kids here. But in, they just moved here. They've been in Denver for years. But our, we our daughter and son-in-law and two kids, 18, uh, excuse me, 15 and 12, live there, Stacy and, and our daughter. And uh, Heath and Haley are there. And we just got back from visiting. And we, we sat down with them for the week. And I just watched. 
we, we played a, 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 a movie series that you'd like to get. It's called Chosen. It's fantastic. It's a picture of Jesus. And we sat for like five nights, an hour a night, just using the videos. And I was so encouraged because here's the 15-year-old and the 12-year-old. They're talking about Jesus. Oh, I know who that person is. That's Peter over there. He's walking over there and all this stuff. And did I feel good? I felt really good. Why? Because I'm the grandpa, and my wife is the grandma. And we're the, all they know comes from me. <laughs> no, that's not true. Indirectly, it comes from myself and my wife. That's true, because our son-in-law and our daughter are Christians. Parents, let me challenge you. The world's after our kids. But we have an answer. His name is Jesus and the word of God. Be that parent. As much as the enemy can influence other people to follow him, God says we're to be light. Don't hide it. Challenge. Love your kids, your grandkids. Be there. That's exactly what happens. Now, now what's Herod going to do? He's outwitted. Well, watch me. Here he is in Jerusalem. He's going to travel to Caesarea. You're going to see it in a minute. It's about mm, a two-hour drive on a bus, tour bus when we go to Israel, two hours. So we're talking days to walk up to Caesarea on the Mediterranean Sea. Now, he's running away because basically he, he political. His ratings went from here to because it's the talk of the town. Do you know what our leader did, Herod? He killed the guards instead of taking responsibility for himself. Who's kind of a, who wants to serve a guy like that? And so he runs because he has the pride of power. He runs from failure to, to nurse his wounded pride. I don't want anybody to know about me. I'm not going to talk about that God. Now, here's something. A person who opposes God... An unbeliever is always a prideful person. If you stop and ask people, over time, you'll discover this truth. Most people do not come to salvation, even though they hear it, they know they need it, for one reason. Pride. Here it is. I don't need anybody's help. I will do life my Way Now, where did that pride get started? In heaven with Satan. I will be a better God than you, God. Well, he ended up in a different place pretty quick because God always has the last word. So here he goes. He goes up there. And a person who opposes, opposes God, here's another key. They focus only on themselves. And nobody else. But we're not taught to do that. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. If you start living a life that's focused on you, you're going to be in trouble. It needs to be focused on God. And then he takes care of us as we move through it. Now, when unbelievers oppose God and try to escape their problems, Satan has lots of ways to get them. They end up sometimes taking drugs. Alcohol, they become sexually immoral with all kinds of things, trying to find something that will satisfy them. 
they have, they're empty. They don't know what in the world to do. So Satan says, here, try this. This will work. Well, it never works. But Herod will, Herod will soon discover that he cannot run from his real problem. What is his real problem? His real problem is he hates God. He opposes God. And he thinks I can run from that, and I'm going to find a solution. Now, he goes to Judea, leaves Judea, which is Jerusalem, and goes down to Caesarea, that capital. Now, I've learned this, and you've learned this as well. People who try to run from their problems discover one thing. When you try to run from your problem, even as a Christian, sometimes we have a sinful kind of thing we try to run from. If you run from your problem, guess what? You take it with you because the problem is you and me. Ever been there? Yeah. I'll get rid of this. <laughs> no. And your wife says, uh, I think I know you. You're the same guy that had the trouble back right over here. Okay, honey, you're right, you're right. That's why we have wives, in case you didn't know. Now, don't tell my wife that. Please don't tell my wife that. Okay? Am I right? So he's running to get rid of the problem. He's taking the problem with it. What is it? Pride. He hates God. He takes it with him. He's not going to have any solution to that at all. Now, for us, unbelievers have nowhere to go. Christians take their problems to God. We don't run from our problems. We take our problems to God. Look at verse 1 Peter 5, 7. Um, everybody, you guys watching online, Sebastian, Vera, give your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. See, an unbeliever has nowhere to give his problems. Who's going to take them? Now, I want everybody here, don't stand, I want everybody here to just put your hands out like this. Everybody at all our campuses, you guys all watching a lot in your home. I know the dog will bark at you and say, you're going to give me food. Forget it. Just raise your hand. Now, I guarantee you, we all have problems from time to time. You have to be honest. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. Let's just do this. Let's give it to God right now. Come on. Let's just give it to God right now. Do you think he's interested? Absolutely. Will he take it? Yes, he will. Now, once you do that, you never have to do this again in your whole life. <laughs> Is that true? Once saved, always saved. No, I'm just joking. No, that's stupid. Because will you have trouble? In this world, we will have trouble. So what do you do? You learn not to take it yourself or run from it. You what? You just stop again and give it to God. Am I right? Father, as we leave the service in a few minutes, may those of us that raised our hands... We gave it to you. You know the problem. We know that you answer our prayers. May we leave with an empty backpack. Our services, our homes, because you care for us. In Jesus' name. Now, what in the world is Herod going to do in Caesarea? Well, here's what happens. He has control over Israel. And there's two countries, Tyre and Sidon. You see it in verse 20. And He's gotten in trouble with them. We don't know the whole deal, but Tyre and Sidon were, were short on food. And he's ruling everything. So he has a kind of a, a support guy named Blastus, his personal servant. And so that servant goes to these people, Tyre and Sidon people, and says, look, I'm going to arrange a time where, 
or Herod, he's down here now, the one you knew, and he's going to solve your problem for food, and you're going to be able to be okay. Now, Herod basically goes there, and he, he knows that he has the ability to bring grain to them. Now, that fallout they had with King Herod, he's trying to figure out, okay, how can I make a peace? How can I get strong in this whole situation? So he designs himself to have a meeting with them in a kind of a public festival that he's going to do. Now, when he's there, I want you to see down in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 21, look what happens. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne. Are you already starting to get the picture? Are you already starting to see pride? Yes. And he delivered a public address to the people. Now, Josephus tells us exactly what happened. He's trying to build up his ego in front of the people. They don't know anything about his failure back in Jerusalem. So Josephus tells us, here's what he did. He, the full account. He organizes a festival to honor Caesar. And Josephus says, Herod appeared in the outdoor theater of Caesarea. Now take a look on the overhead. This is the exact place 2,000 years ago that Herod was at. Now, I've been there many, Paul was there. I've been there many times, 17 times. I've taught in that place so many years over and over again. Now, take a picture right in the upper, up corner. That's the Mediterranean Sea. So it's a beautiful place. And this is the place where they get together. That's the exact place today. Now, you can just go kind of out from where the people are. Picture a stand in a big, big seat, a throne for Caesar, as they worship Caesar, and here is Herod in his big seat up there, okay? Now, he's in front of how many people? Thousands and thousands of people. As a man that's running by pride, do you think he likes that? Oh, he, he, he loves that baby. He's going to get it right. He thinks he's in for a great time. Now, just keep looking at that for just a moment. Let me read you what happens. Josephus tells us this. On the second day, he put on a garment made wholly of silver. Now, you lies will, wise will understand this. And a texture truly wonderful. And he came to the theater early in the morning. So you can see the sun is just starting to come up. And he has this outfit on that's made with silver. And the minute he's there, the sun comes in and he lights himself up with the sun right on the silver. So you can see, it's a, you, you couldn't miss him. He's sitting in there on that throne. He's on an elevated throne. And as he's doing that, he directs this public address to the people. And they do one thing. Look down at verse 22. The people sitting up there, here's what they say. These are words, Herod's words, of a God, not a man. Wow. Now, why are they saying that? Because they want food. They don't believe that. They want food. This is a God, not a man. Now, how do you think Herod feels? Oh, sad. 
Do you see my silver? You see, remember, he's on a big stick. See my silver? <laughs> I'm your God. Now, this is where he gets in trouble. Pride gets us all in trouble. So when you see that happening, his ego is just going crazy. Now, what's the response of this? Remember what he's, they're saying. The voice of a God, not man. Now, look at verse 23. Hard verse. Hard verse. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms. And he died. Now, why did God judge Herod with death immediately? Well, number one, he opposed God his whole life. He would never admit there was a God. He refused to ever praise God. He was actually receiving the people's worship as if he was a God. He knows better than that. He is not a God. But he is too prideful to admit he's not God. And he was struck down by God's angel. Josephus said that he lived in pain for quite a while and died at the young age of 54. Now, what do we see there? Look at this statement. God hates pride and will not allow any person to take his glory. Now, this is from the Old Testament because people used to try to take God's Remember, what's the first Ten Commandments? You will have no other God before me. No other God. There's only one true God. He would not admit he's not a God with the smallest little G you could ever write. Isaiah 42, 8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Now, why was that written thousands of years before this? Because the Old Testament was filled with Jewish people that did the same thing. Remember, they were supposed to be light to the pagans. They ended up becoming like the pagans. See, God says, no, you're wrong. I'll not give my glory to anybody else, any idol that you do, or my praise. Absolutely not. So, the danger is today, in our country specifically, not so much other countries, if you go to India and China, there's a lot of gods there, lots of gods. Some people say in India there's millions of gods. But here in the United States, we don't have those idols that we worship to. Actually, in China and even Korea and sometimes Japan, they, they actually worship their ancestors who have died you know, hundreds or thousands of years before. They had their pictures, and they worshiped them. Well, they're dead. But here in the United States, we said, well, at least we don't have that. What's the number one idol in the United States? People. They become their own God. Look at the statement. Often unbelievers become their own God. Paul wrote it like this. They exchange the truth, unbelievers, of God for a lie. They deny the truth. And worship and worshiped and served created things, idols themselves. They're a created person by God 
rather than the creator, the one who created them. That's the only person that we worship who is forever praised. Amen. Now, here's a key. Some of you are not believers yet. Some of you will become today or soon. And some of you used to be and fall away. But here's a principle. We need to understand our neighbors, our friends. They don't know this key. But you just pray with it, with God's grace. Pride, which is a sin. Actually, one of the greatest sins in the Bible. God hates pride. Will keep a person from seeking God. Why? Because I don't need help. I'm fine by myself. Psalms 10.4 says, In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. He will not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. Pastor Mark, why do you use that kind of verse? That's so negative. Well, should I skip it? You see, God loves people. So he tells us what to do and what not to do. How horrible that many of our churches don't, you won't hardly ever hear the word sin. Well, we can't do that. Just just build people up. Well, I like to build people up too. But I have to do what God told me to do. Teach all the word of God with love. I'm not teaching this with hate. I'm teaching it with love. I don't want to get to heaven. And I'll say to God, where is this person? You you never really taught the law. They're in hell. You never said that a prideful person will never, ever get to heaven. What's wrong with you, Balmer? I don't want to ever face that. Not just for me, but for the people. You know, if you walk through your neighborhoods, you drive through your neighborhoods, your workplaces... There's thousands and thousands and thousands in Brevard County people who don't know God at all. We have to love them. To love them, if I hold the truth, I'm not loving them. If I will withhold the truth, I am not loving them. I have to say to them, there's two roads. There's only one way to God, Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody goes to heaven but by him. Well, I don't want to hear that. I'm sorry. I'm telling you that in love because that's truth. Don't ever say to me, I wasn't truthful to you. Now, why did God put that in the Bible? Because he loves everybody. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Do you get it? Am I right? Exactly that. So that's why we have to go through and do a difficult thing like this to say, as you just read there, that that destruction is going to go. Now, look at here, verse 16 and 18. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Pride eventually ends in judgment and destruction. Unless, here's the key word, a person chooses to serve God instead of self or Satan. Now, we don't like to, I don't like to even teach sometimes. That's why I said to you at the beginning, all of the people, this is a hard teaching for me. I don't like to really talk about judgment, but let me ask you to read this with me. You don't have to read it out loud, just understand. But the love, grace, and forgiveness of God always must be balanced by God's justice, his wrath, and his judgment. God is just, and he will always do the right thing. You don't have to just, he's not an angry God. But he's a God of justice. 
And during the seven-year tribulation, the wrath of God will come. It never comes to a Christian. We escape the wrath. See, people think they can get away with whatever. Think of the millions and millions and millions of babies that get aborted. And what have we done the last few years? Made it worse. Kill a baby when they come out. You can wait that long and then just kill the baby right there. You see, if we did that with people, those people would be jailed instantly for murder. Here, it's a baby. You think God will judge that? It's coming. So I don't want to get angry at the people. I want to pray for them to see they're doing wrong. And Satan is such a deceptive person. Now, you would think at the end of this, the church is basically discouraged. Don't be discouraged today. Because look at the last verse, 1224. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Can you believe that? Yes. And in spite of the persecution, all the things happening to the church. Remember, Herod thought he was in control. He's going to take that church and he's going to win the battle and that church will be absolutely gone. That's the way the chapter started. But at the end of the chapter, there's only one person that's dead and gone. It's Herod. And the church is alive. Now, how do I know that? Let me just say this to you to encourage you. Today, now, not 2,000 years ago, today, right now, there is no way to understand persecution unless you understand this truth. No matter what the church faces, no matter the division, the hate, the violence we experience in the world, no matter what godless leaders try to do to us, stop, stop us, God, in the end, God and his followers win. How do I know that? Peter heard this from Jesus. Matthew 16. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's not a wish list. That's a promise. God is on the throne, not Herod, not our government. Not our Supreme Court, not our Congress. God is on the throne. He has, he has the last word. Herod didn't have the last word. God has the last word. And all these people that are fighting the church of Jesus Christ, it, they will never win. Now, our goal is not to say goodbye to those people. Our goal is to go out to a world lost. Remember, Jesus was a friend of sinners. So keep praying for our people. Don't give them this sermon, but when you get a chance, talk about. You have to choose. You have the privilege of choosing. God doesn't want anybody not to go to heaven. He wants everybody to go to heaven. We have a God that's merciful. Am I right? A God that gives lots of new starts. I wouldn't want to even ask us to raise your hand. How many of you have had a new start with God? Oh my. Well, how about today, maybe even? That's the way our God is. Now, here's a question. And this is to all the people listening to me or will watch it online at Facebook or YouTube or however. Where will you spend eternity? It's your choice. Remember what Jesus said? If you're not with me, you're against me. There's no, there's no middle ground. 
you have to make that choice. Now, you might be a good moral person. You might even believe there is a God, which is wonderful. But you don't have a personal relationship with him. That won't work. And so I just want to share a promise from God for you. Then we're going to pray, have our last song, and take communion. Here it is. 1 John 5, 12. He who has a son has life. That means he who has a personal relationship with Jesus. He who does not have a son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may, what's it say? You may know that you have eternal life. Some of you who are listening to me, because I've dealt with this my whole life in the church, you say to a person, where are you going when you die? Well, I hope heaven. That's not good enough. God wrote this in his word. You and I can know we're going to heaven. How? You accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You're for God. You're not against God. And that is the guarantee. If you choose to begin a personal relationship with God, guess what? You always win. So before this service ends, I'm going to give all of you an opportunity to do that. Here, let me just say it like this. Some of you have... It's time for you to say, I kind of played around in the middle, Pastor Mark, but there is no middle. I, I, I know that Jesus Christ died for me. I'm ready to ask him to forgive me of my sins. I see there that he's the only way. He's the only way. I'm not into religion. I didn't understand it all, but now I see that Jesus Christ died for me. Second, some of you used to follow God. You were on the right path, but Satan likes to get people off the path, and you just need to make a recommitment. Come on home to the God who created you, the God who loves you. He'll forgive you. Don't worry about that. Just make this recommitment. So if you want your sins forgiven and you want to know that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to choose to pray this prayer with me. I can't save you. I'd love to. That's impossible. That's God. Now, pray this prayer quietly. Let's everybody just bow your heads. And here, if you're already a Christian, just pray for the people that are making a decision right now. Seriously, just pray for those people to make a decision here in our campuses, online, wherever they're at. When they look at this, and maybe two weeks from now, they've somehow come on this teaching. Just pray for them. If it's you that want to make that commitment the first time or a recommitment, just pray this with me right now, quietly, under your breath. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm, I need your forgiveness. I do believe you died on the cross for my sins. And right now, I turn from my sins. Come in and change my life. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me of all my sins. Today, I receive your gift of salvation. And I look for a brand new life following you. Thank you 